The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to put it all in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Everybody loves to obsess over the macro. What will happen with the debt ceiling? What will the Fed do next? How bad is commercial real estate? And they love to talk about trading instruments like the volatility index or the regional bank ETF or the major averages, which includes days like today, where the Dow slipped 57 points as to be dipped 0.46%. NASDAQ shed 0.63%. Of course, you need to have your view of this big picture stuff, and I don't deny it because there are longstanding patterns that are impossible to ignore. Lower interest rates do tend to drive stocks higher. The volatility index tends to spike when there's uncertainty over the debt ceiling negotiations. You're not going to learn anything from me on that. But at the end of the day, I still believe the best money can be made by picking individual stocks. So many experts will tell you to stick with index funds. They argue you'll never be LeBron James, so just stay in the stands and bet on a basket of basketball players, regardless of how good they are. You never know which of the 500 players in the S&P will pan out. Now, that's fine. I have some index funds. You do, too. But I don't buy that, that, that that's everything. And I'm guessing you don't either. Or else, why would you be watching this show? It's just counterintuitive. You've got your index funds, I've got your index funds, but you want to learn how to pick stocks. So that's why tonight I want to walk you through what I call the craft of finding high-quality stocks that I think can work. And I like to teach the craft. I was going to be a teacher. Instead, I took this show. See, I'm not talking, this is not about coming up with ideas. Ideas are everywhere. This is about the process of sorting through the ideas once you find them and figure out which ones are viable investments and which ones are dangerous and you need to be avoiding. So how do you find a good idea before others take it higher? Well, you need to be curious. You need to have some ingenuity. But most important, you need a process. 
Tonight, I want to show you a sorting mechanism that I've used for 40 years to spot potential money-making ideas. Yep, instead of dwelling on the unknowable, when will we resolve the debt crisis? I don't know. You don't know. Hey, why don't we use this as a teaching moment about how to find winners, maybe avoid some losers? Now, part of my craft is to start with ideas that the market likes already. All right. Check out the day's big winners. To do this, when I'm done my morning meeting show that I do with Jeff Marks for CNBC Investing Club members, I look to see which stocks are up the most on a percentage basis. It's something I do instinctively. Now, today when I did it, I spotted the name Trex, T-R-E-X. They used to be a frequent guest on Mad Money. Trex makes decking chiefly out of recycled trash, about 95% is recycled trash. Now, I like the product, but that's neither here nor there. That's not what we're talking about. Trax had just reported a tremendous quarter last night, and it was up about 8% when we finished our mid-morning show. So I said, well, morning meeting, go check the things. Sure enough, 8%. Now I'm interested. Trex surprised the upside when it reported because while there had been too much decking inventory that had depressed the price of the stuff, that glut was now gone. Trex saw a sequential improvement in its gross margin, meaning there must be stronger demand. They wouldn't be able to get higher prices for it. Now, consider me really intrigued, but not about Trex. Trex is done. I missed that. Trex's stock is already too high. I'm using Trex to find out about other ideas that might work, not Trex itself. So you got to dig deeper. I keep going through the Trex conference call and I stumble on something exciting. And I'm going to quote it. Our data indicate that the North American consumer remains active in undertaking outdoor living projects and that generally contractors have strong backlogs entering the busiest part of the season. End quote. Wait a second, I think. Strong backlogs? Contractors? Now, that's the genesis of an idea, especially when you expect that they wouldn't have strong backlogs because of the 500 basis points of pain that Jay Powell has given us. Remember, we're in a, a rate tightening cycle. The contractors should be losing business, not gaining business. But it's not enough to just have that idea. You want a relatively undiscovered or maybe an idea that's against great. So then I checked the Wall Street research to see if this story about contractor backlog is well known. I see nothing of import. That's good. Now I'm beginning to think maybe we should be buying or thinking about buying Home Depot and Lowe's. They report suit. Maybe there's something there off this Trex call. Maybe one of those two could be worth buying. Wait a second. Maybe Trex is an oddity. Maybe it's just crushing it and killing a competitor. Maybe it's not good for the industry. So we need to do another check, a decking check. This time we go to AZEC. It's another company that's been on the show. That's Trex's high-end competitor. They reported on May 4th. So I pick up the AZEC conference call, and I get this quote from CFO Peter Clifford. It jumps right out of me. Quote, from a macro perspective, we are seeing a more constructive environment in our residential business year-to-date, while experiencing a more challenging environment for our commercial segment. Clifford then gives you another clue. Residential sell-through demand continues to be modestly better than our original assumptions. Residential channel inventory is at levels that are well below 2017 to 2019. Yes, that is good. Not conclusive. But it's good to know that it's the commercial for housing, but not commercial in big buildings. Remember, we don't like commercial real estate, right? You hear that all the time. We want House construction, and we're hearing good things now from both Trex and we're, we're hearing it from AZEC. So now we got to figure out whether we want to buy Home Depot or Lowe's. So what do you do? 
Well, then you've got to marry that information with two recent conference calls of other industries that also sell into those stores. How about Stanley Black & Decker and PPG? the paint and the Cody's company. Now, these are both fantastic resources. On April 21st, PPG CEO Timothy Navish answered a question about professional paint contractors saying, backlogs have remained surprisingly robust despite everything you see in the news and despite what's happening in construction driven by labor shortages primarily, so the backlogs remain strong. Yes, that is terrific. That confirms my treks. AZEC thesis. Now we go to Stanley Black and Decker. They give us more. On May 4th in the conference call, CEO Donald Allen explains, quote, the trend around pro continues to be very healthy. We're not seeing any major shifts in that dynamic, even as he says the consumer side, the do-it-yourself, that's tepid. So now I'm starting to think, well, I'm piecing it all together. The professional contractors working on residential homes, not commercial projects, are, contrary to popular opinion, doing quite well. Much better than expected, but not so the do-it-yourselfer. So then we go through the read-through, and this is where you really got to be thinking. Now, all you, pro- you process all your information. Contractors, where do they go? They tend to do most of the shopping at Home Depot. Lowe's is more consumer. They do more do-it-yourself, although CEO Marv Ellison's been working hard to bring it in the more pros. Still, if you want to bet on contractors who do home refurbishment and home construction, you've got to be betting on Home Depot. So could there be a good trade here going Going in earnings, only if our thesis runs contrary to current Wall Street research, because otherwise it'll already be priced in the stock. Are people thinking like I am? No, because I've checked Wall Street research for both Home Depot and Lowe's, and it's astonishingly negative. As a matter of fact, there have just been two reports that have just come out saying, you know what? They're not doing well. Remember, if everybody already liked Home Depot, there's no opportunity. The end of this research indicates a distaste for the stock, and that may create a terrific setup. Now, nothing can be done in a vacuum. You don't want to just slap on a trade because you finished your work. Home Depot reports on the week of the 16th. That's the catalyst. But we're still a week away from the 16th. Between then and now, we're going to get some negative story, right, about the debt ceiling, some bear raid maybe on a regional bank. You could drag the whole market down. Based on my work, I'm tempted to wait for that pullback and use it to buy the stock of a Home Depot for a trade. Right now, stocks on the cusp of having a 3% yield. It's got a $15 billion buyback. I like that trampoline. Then I checked the chart. Yes, the chart. I can see it's at a crossroads. A potential head and shoulder could be developing. But if the stock holds right here and then turns up slightly, then the pattern changes to something more hospitable. I care enough about the charts to look, if only because so many traders take their cue from them. So, Let's bring it all together. Here's what I do. If you want to trade at all, don't forget this kind of short-term bet is totally optional. I am using it to demonstrate the process of low-risk idea generation. You want to wait a couple days to see what happens. But if we get a market-wide sell-off since the stock of Home Depot lower, then I would be sorely tempted to buy it ahead of the quarter once I've gone through this checklist. Bottom line, there's something more important than buying Home Depot that I'm demonstrating to you. I'm demonstrating to you the craft itself. I can't guarantee you win with this one. Maybe the whole exercise produces nothing, like fishing without a catch. Can't win them all. But if you can get into Home Depot at a lower level based on the exercise that I just went through, let me tell you something. It could very much be worth a shot. And that's how it's done. Joe in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking uh, my call. And thank you for all that you do for us and for especially stressing on the importance of diversification. Absolutely. We have to. That's why I like S&P funds, but I also like individual stock picking. How can I help? 
I've owned Qualcomm uh, for a couple of years now, and with their weakness in sales to Apple, should I still hold on to it? I don't want you to own that stock. I listened to Skyworks last night. Skyworks is a good company, much better than Qualcomm. Qualcomm, I think, is doing quite poorly. They talk a big game, and I got to tell you, here's my word on Qualcomm. Actually, it's three words. I can't guarantee you win with what I just went through with the stock of Home Depot, but I do believe it. Getting the stock at a lower level after the process that I showed you, it might be very much worth a shot. Hey, buddy, tonight, speaking of stocks at lower levels, Exponential Fitness is behind all of your favorite boutique fitness brands. Maybe after pullback, the stock could be investable. Let's work it out together. I'm checking with the CEO. Then how could the strength of the dollar impact a host of assets from stocks to commodities? I'm going to go off the charts to find out, and you will be surprised about the answers. Yesterday, by the way, I told you that travel and leisure is one of the sectors showing strength amid uncertainty. So could Boeing fit into that thesis of trying to figure out whether we still have some economic activity here? Let's get a read on the space with the CEO of Brunswick. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. What do we do with Exponential Fitness, the house of niche gym brands, with a once great stock that's, I don't know, it's pulling back lately? Now, look, I've been recommending this one repeatedly, and it's still up roughly 30% since we last spoke to the CEO in November. Unfortunately, the stock's now pulled back a quick 12% over the past week. Why? Well, when Exponential reported last Thursday, it was, well, some of them at least didn't care for it. 
It was a mixed quarter, but I don't think it was a bad quarter. The earnings per share came in light, two cent loss. Wall Street was looking for a 16 cent gain. We're going to go into that. They also put up 20% same score sales growth. That's what I care about. People were only expecting 15%. Still, given how much the stock had run going the quarter, that's what the issue was. Because anything less than perfection was going to cause a sell off. So, is it safe to circle back or do we need to be concerned? Let's check in with Anthony Geisler. He's the founder and CEO of Exponential Fitness, long a favorite of ours, to get a better read on the quarter. Mr. Geisler, welcome back to Mad Money. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jim. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, so I know you because my kids are in your have all selected your brands, but uh, I saw the same store sales number and I liked it. Yep. Some of the analysts were concerned about the earnings per share number. How do I reconcile the fact that the same store sales were total blowout with the fact that some of the analysts may not have thought that the numbers itself were any were as good as expected? Yeah, well, it's a calculation of the earnings per share, right? And so right. some of the analysts are, are having trouble in the cap table, you know, kind of deciphering the share count and things of that nature. So we've been working with them to, you know, to give them clarity. Uh, right. But the business, you're right, the same store sales up 20%. They're up 17% in Q3 and right. Q4. So to be up 20% on the back of that is, is phenomenal because it used to comp at 8% pre-COVID. Right. Now, I think some of that is... Uh, you uh, you support your brands, but also people need to realize you're not putting 10 of your brands within the same mile of each other. You have very strict rules. For instance, if I wanted to be, um, if uh, let's say I wanted to be in Stride Fitness or I wanted to be in Yoga 6 or Club Pilates, you won't let another three plot Club Pilates be next door to me. Yeah, no, we, we don't do that. We're very strategic about what right. we do. We're only selling a little over 1,000 Club Pilates nationwide, and we've got about 850. 50 of those open today. And so continuing to push on the AUVs of Club Plotties, which started at 250000 originally right. and have more than tripled uh, over the last several years. Now, you also, for people who want to do it at home, yeah. they can do it at home. So they don't have to go because some of the stores are small. But you like that, right? I mean, you like the boutique nature of your gyms. Absolutely. It's average store is about 1,500 to 2,000 right. square feet. So they fit great in grocery anchored retail shopping centers. And, you know, we do have a, you know, a digital offering that's really right. to be omni-channel. We want to match wherever our customer is, whether they're on Princess Cruises and front of an LG right. television at a Hyatt, a Hilton, or, you know, are working on our four wall. So now your pipeline would indicate to me that and tell me if I'm wrong, you got to be straight with me on this, yeah. that you must be a much sought after tenant at a lot of these real estate investment trusts, yeah. strip malls and, and regular shopping center, right? Absolutely. I'll be at the uh, ICSC show in a couple of weeks here out in Las Vegas. Okay. And, you know, for instance, during COVID, we signed 500 leases. We still open three. 350 stores. So, you know, the, how the many other like p- places closed of your competitors without naming the competitors yep. closed during COVID? Uh, about 30% of the market closed. We grew by about 35% during the same time period. Okay, so somebody's listening right now and they said, well, you know what? I like that. I want to have a BFT. It's not that simple, is it? You have, you have this a long process before you yes. can get a free. Go through the steps. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I mean, sure. Of course, we're doing background checks, liquidity right. checks, and things like that. There's calls with me. I actually did one from the floor of the stock exchange today with all prospective candidates uh, that are in the pipeline for this month. Um, But they get on calls with franchisees, with team and management. We bring them out to our Southern California headquarters. They spend two days there. So we get to know them. They get to know what they're going to have to do over the next six months as a franchisee. So it's not a sales process, an education process, so that everybody goes into it eyes wide open at what they're doing. But you do expect, I mean, you've been since 2015, there have been some stores where it's like 600 that have closed. But that's not so bad, given the fact of how many you have. We've actually never had a closure. Well, I mean, Uh, the the term there's there's that it's not a closure so much as that you've had guys who 
It was a footnote that said 600. Oh, so they'll transfer. So people will, transfer. yeah, people will transfer their rights. Right. So they may, they may open mean? one, two, or three and then sell off their fourth right or something so like that. So if I right. open one mm-hmm. and I don't want it, mm-hmm. I can then sell it back to you or no, sell, you it, to sell it to somebody else. else? Yeah, so we just do those transfers as people sell out of the system, much like people buy a stock and they may be in it for well, three, like, four, or five years and, and they it sell it to someone else. Someone Absolutely. might buy it for X and buy it. So, yeah. Now, have you ever had to terminate anybody? Uh, no, we. I mean, we'll we'll terminate people that haven't gotten open in time, right? Okay. Um, but as far as people that are open, they typically will just transfer to somebody else. They may be in the business for a couple of years, and they typically sell okay. it about three and a half to four times EBITDA. Okay, so, uh, so. all right, so somebody gets someone's buy because I think this is such a great business model. I would presume that if I could meet your criteria and mm-hmm. I had your money, I might be buying a stock basically at two hundred fifty thousand that could go to eight hundred. These have all appreciated in your under your watch. Correct. Absolutely. So then why? I don't know. I guess the analyst didn't understand the, uh, the what you said, the share account, because to yep. me, this remains just a fabulous business. And it's yep. because it's boutique is very different from the other guys. And the the uh, your franchisees are very well capitalized. Yep, absolutely. And we only accept about two percent of the lead flow that comes through. So Come we're really on. we're really dealing with the best of the best from day one and then supporting them, putting them in great locations and and growing AUV. All right, That's so I want to be clear, the 600, I can flip. Yeah. I can make even more money on the way out. Yes, absolutely. It's it's a business like any other business. You buy it, you grow it, and then well, no, it's not really. It. The other, most of the other franchises do not make a lot of money. Yeah. They do well, but they can't yeah. buy and then make. You know, th- this is an extraordinary model. Yeah. All right, I want to thank Anthony Geisler, who's the Exponential Fitness founder. Now we've had so many of these come public, but founder NCO. And very rarely have I ever said that it's worth owning the stock. And this is one of those cases. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, a new take on the value of a dollar? Kramer goes off the charts to track the USD next. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed. 
We spent a ton of time hearing about all the big picture negatives in this market. Inflation's still too high. We're heading to a Fed-mandated recession. We might have more regional bank failures on our hands. And our government could default on its obligations if these debt ceiling negotiations drag on for too long. Oh, these are all legitimate things to be worried about. But there's at least one part of the big picture that's extremely positive, and it doesn't get enough attention. I'm talking about the weakening dollar. American companies that operate overseas love nothing more than a weak currency because it means their foreign revenues can translate back into more dollars. We've had a strong dollar for a long time. Plus, a weak currency makes our manufacturers more cost competitive versus their overseas competitors. Most important, though, when the dollar goes down, stocks tend to go up. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. She's a brilliant technician. She's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, and she's the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, and she's our resident currency and commodities experts. Now, expert, for months, Garner's been telling us that as long as the greenback gets hit, stock prices should keep heading higher. She's been right, and she doesn't see this pattern changing anytime soon. As long as the dollar remains sluggish, she says the path of least resistance is higher for most dollar-denominated assets, like U.S. stocks. So take a look at this longer-term monthly chart of the dollar index, which measures the value of the greenback against a basket of foreign currencies. Garner points out that the dollar's been consolidating of late after a significant slide, but every time it tries to mount a meaningful rally, well, it fizzles. It just keeps failing. That matters. This is not a pretty chart for the dollar which is great news for the market. You know where we want it to be, if we're stockholders. The general rule of thumb is that a lower dollar translates into higher stock prices. Just look at the action here. The dollar peaked in October, okay, uh, right when the S&P 500 peaked. Since then, both of these markets have been operating with a powerful negative correlation. That's how stocks are supposed to behave. Although Garner notes that many other dollar-denominated assets have been getting hit. Agricultural commodities, crude oil, and natural gas have all gone down in lockstep with our currency. At some point, though, Garner thinks commodities will need to be repriced higher simply to account for the weaker dollar. She's betting that happens sooner rather than later. At the same time, she sees stock prices continuing to get a boost from these currency fluctuations. Regardless of how worried you are about bank failures or the debt ceiling, if the dollar index breaks down below 100, Garner says that's likely to be very good for the stock market. See, and when we've had all these quarters that were just reported, holy cow, they were all hurt by the dollar translation. If we take out this level, it's going to be a different narrative entirely. So how likely is it that the dollar will break down there? Looking back at the history, the dollar index entered a bear market in the early 2000s. Now we go all the way back here. Uh, And that didn't end until reaching the low 70s before the financial crisis. Garner believes it's no coincidence that the great bull market in stocks and commodities came in and, and, and right around the time the dollar bottomed in 2008. And that's when we had this major rally. The dollar is so important. Now, today, the dollar index is a little over 100, which is still relatively expensive by historical standards, even after the big decline since last October. Garner thinks the dollar index will dip down to 98 sooner rather than later. That would be, you know, just a little drop right here. Uh, longer term, she sees it could head toward the low 90s. All else equal, that is a reason in itself for stocks to keep grinding higher, particularly the kind of stocks that we talk about a lot on, on Mad Money, which stocks that have a lot of business overseas. 
Speaking of stocks, check out the monthly chart of the S&P 500. Now, we always hear people chanting that dog will sell in May and go away. Garner points out that this hasn't really worked out lately for the S&P 500. For the last five years, we've tended to have these steady, low-volatility rallies during the summer doldrums. In other words, she thinks this isn't a particularly bad period seasonally, despite that stupid little ditty. And you can see we've had some good rallies in the month in, in these summer months. At the same time, when you look at the S&P futures traders, they are sitting on one of the largest net short positions in history. In other words, people have bet very aggressively against the stock market. So if we get any lift at all, Garner expects that to fuel a wave of short covering, which would then lead to an even bigger upside. Her initial upside target puts the S&P futures at 4270, okay, right here. Uh, we've got a breakout above that level. She thinks it get very, very exciting. Longer term, Garner wouldn't be surprised if the SP 500 makes its way to 5,070. I do not know a single strategist who thinks it can go that high. I know it might sound crazy to you. There's so much that's wrong with our economy, and practically everybody you hear from has been unrelentingly negative about the market. But for Garner, that pervasive negativity is one more reason to bet on a big rally, because rallies are what you get when there's nobody left to sell. That would be some target. Okay, so how about the price of oil? You know she talks about oil quite a bit. Given that crude's fallen to $73 and change, isn't that a horrific signal for both the economy and the stock market? Don't we always associate that with recession? Not so fast. Take a gander at the monthly chart of West Texas Intermediate Crude, okay? We saw a big meltdown in oil last week. Boom. But for Garner, that's less about the fundamentals and more about traders being caught on the wrong foot. Tons of money managers bought oil not too long ago when we heard about those OPEC production cuts. Remember, we had that big spike on that. Then they got spooked out of their positions on the way down. Now, though, Garner expects them to scramble to get long again between the weaker dollar and OPEC's production discipline. She's feeling very bullish on oil. Again, something that most people don't feel like. Ever since the shale revolution, and you can see post-fracking, ever since the shale revolution, OPEC hasn't had much influence over oil prices. There was too much cheap crude coming from America, which is how we ended up with a horrific multi-year bear market from 2014 through the beginning of the pandemic. So that's when you have to think about that. That's the multi-year bear market. As Garner sees it, OPEC stuck, stuck back struck back in early 2020, flushing the market in order to deter all those uh, shale producers from spending more money drilling here. They basically scared American oil companies into being disciplined about their production, of which they still are. These days, she thinks $60 or so oil is the OPEC pain threshold. That's where they'll step in to cut production and boost prices in a serious fashion. You can see that's become the longer-term floor of support on the monthly chart. Okay, So she's very bullish on oil right here. I am, too. We've been buying some for the Travel Trust. You can follow that if you belong to the uh, to our CNBC Investing Club. You'll be seeing we put some money to work in oil. The bottom line, the charts interpreted by, by Carly Garner are crystal clear. A weaker dollar tends to be terrific for dollar-denominated assets like stock. And that's exactly what Garner's expecting. As long as the greenback doesn't make a comeback, remember, she's bearish on the dollar, she thinks it'll be difficult for the S&P 500 to trade dramatically lower. And even oil prices should get a nice currency-related boost. Amid all the economic chaos, it's good to get back to basics, isn't it? And right now, the basics are surprisingly favorable to the stock market. Again, what are we trying to do in man money? We're trying to cut against the conventional wisdom that the market must go down here because we don't have enough indicators in our own world that say that that should happen. Let's go to Ricky in Pennsylvania. Ricky. 
Yeah, Jim. How are you, buddy? I am good, Ricky. How about you? I'm doing great. Fantastic. How can I help? Going. How do you feel about Vonner? I know the last couple of days is, you know, excellent, but what do well, you think uh, going forward? Okay, I think that that is, you know, what we would call that is a short squeeze. They've gotten right. through their troubles. Um, I would say that a lot of these heavily shorted names are getting a little bit of a lift here, and that Carvana can go up a little bit higher. But remember, we don't like stocks that are losing a lot of, uh, com- of companies that are losing a lot of money. So, Ricky, my advice is you can ride that a little bit longer, but it is losing a lot of money, so that's not our cup of tea. Let's go to Dee in Florida. Dee Dee. Hi, Jim. Love your show. Oh, thank and you, I want you and your staff for helping us navigate this turbulent market. Oh, um, thank you. My staff is so fabulous. How can I help? Well, I bought DocuSign in April of 2020. I'm down 53%. My question is, hold it or fold it? Um, I think that this is a company that has been as weathered a lot, frankly, and like a lot of stocks, like a Carvana, like an upstart, like an Affirm, like a Shopify. I think that they've been through enough. And because they're starting to make money, like DocuSign, I'm not, like DocuSign's about to, I'm not as negative. I think DocuSign can go up after being down 27% last year. I think it'd have a 10% move. But at that point, guess what? You're going to have to go. All right. I'm describing a lot of stocks that people are heavily shorting, and I don't think that they're going to go down as much as people think because I like the market. All right. The charts is interpreted by Carly Garner. Tell us that the weaker dollar tends to be terrific for stocks, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring her work to you tonight. Amid all the economic chaos, it is good to get back to basics now and then. And right now, the basics are surprisingly favorable to the stock market, and there are too many people who are shorting it. Now, there's much more money ahead, including my exclusive with Brunswick. Now, there's a stock that should be down a lot, boating. Boating is one of the hottest recreational activities during the pandemic. So now that the world has returned to normal, where does the industry stand during a rate cycle tightening? I'm talking to the CEO. And nobody ever made a dime panicking. I'm giving you a plan on how to apply one of the biggest lessons to this market. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Last night, we got a lot of counterintuitive winners in this market. Stocks that wouldn't normally work at this point in the business cycle, yet they're doing fine. And this is what we're examining on Mad Money. So take Brunswick Corp. That's the maker of boats and engines under some major brands like Boston Whaler. Brunswick doesn't feel like it should be working here. Right. I mean, who the heck buys a, a boat after the Fed's hit us with 500 basis points of rate hikes in barely more than a year? But when Brunswick reported late last month, they posted a small revenue beat and a sizable earnings beat. Even though their forecast for the current quarter was a little light, we've got to find out about that. The stock still rallied uh, more than 2% in response. It's up more than 12% year-to-date. So how the heck can this maker of one of the most discretionary products on Earth be thriving now? Let's take a close look with David Folks, the CEO of Brunswick Corp. Learn more about the quarter where the company's headed. Mr. Folks, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you for having me again, Jim. Really appreciate it. Okay, so David, what we're trying to figure out on Mad Money, we've done a series of of pieces on this, is how can things that are traditionally trading down or not doing as well after the Fed has hiked so many basis points still reporting great numbers? So can you tell us why, in your words, this uh, these Fed rate hikes have not dented any of the interest in your great boats? Well, I think... Um, 
Folks and consumers uh, want to be part of the lifestyle, uh, Jim. You know, I think it's a very attractive lifestyle at any point in time. And people will uh, you know, find ways to participate. And as you know, we have a tremendous portfolio of boat brands that allow them to participate in the value end of the market or the premium end of the market. And we've even got alternatives to ownership like Freedom Boat Club, uh, where they can participate on a subscription basis. <clears throat> so I think... Um, our portfolio really helps in those circumstances. What I would say is that um, we have seen more strength, I guess, and more resilience in the more premium parts of the marketplace, uh, brands you'd be familiar with like Boston Whaler and Siri, and a bit more pressure on some of the uh, value segments. Okay, so let's go over what uh, uh, the value segments to be sure that we're all okay. When you say pressure, I mean, you did say that uh, sales would be flat, uh, flat up slightly versus uh, Q2, but you are concerned that this particular quarter may be a tougher one. Are you seeing things still come together? Yeah, I think generally we are really, you know, this, um, so we'll sequentially expect to improve uh, earnings per share. But um, the comps really get better for us in the back half of the year. This is the more difficult comps. You remember early last year, obviously, Interest rates uh, earlier in the year were much lower. Right. Uh, inflation wasn't such a big factor. As we got later in the year, inflation was higher. Interest rates were higher. Um, so the, the comps get better in the back half of the year for us. So we're still expecting a strong year. And as, as you know, the center point of our guidance is still up versus uh, last year. Right. And now you're a historian of the situation. Uh, isn't it highly unusual at this point in the interest rate cycle to have still uh, be projecting up numbers and be pretty confident that you're going to hit both the sales and the earnings numbers? Yeah, I think, you know, part of our story, Jim, and you know it well, is some of the secular trends, some of the levers that we can really pull versus the market. So we have invested heavily in our uh, engine product line, our Mercury Marine product line, bringing out a lot of really advanced high horsepower uh, engine product, our new V10 and V12 engines, nothing like them in the marketplace. And demand is incredibly strong for those products. Uh, we have um, invested in the parts of our boat product line that are really working well for us. For example, opening a second whole plant for our Boston Whaler uh, brand, which is very strong in the premium segment. And then also investing in things like Freedom Boat Club, as I remembered. As I, as I mentioned, we will have you know close to 400 clubs open uh, pretty soon. So a lot of things that are under our control that are not really subject to the market, uh, which can drive growth in our business. All right. Talk to me about electric, because you know that I was interested in that and have been talking about that for a decade. Mm-hmm. How is that doing? It's doing well. You know, we're just entering that marketplace, but we have an extremely strong and exciting product line from Mercury Marine called Avatar. Uh, we've just begun shipping those uh, products. We've made probably about a thousand right now, and the reception in the marketplace is really strong. Uh, we've shipped them into the U.S. We shipped them into Europe, which we expect to be a very strong market. We've shipped them into Australia, uh, New Zealand. So it's a global product, and the excitement is very high. And we're very um, uh, we're expecting great things from that product line. We still expect it to be mainly in the lower horsepower segments that electrification really takes off versus the high horsepower where we've got those big new products like the V10 and the V12. And then uh, at this point, I would have thought that it would have been the engine parts and accessories that have been making all the money for you. Now, they're good, mm-hmm. but not as strong as new boats, huh? 
Yeah, it, you know, it really depends on the horizon you look over, Jim. They um, Engine parts and accessories in our Navico group were down a bit more than right. 10% versus a very strong comp in Q1 of last year. But if you look over a longer horizon, if you look versus 2019 pre-COVID, both of those businesses are up more than 30%. Wow. So we're seeing uh, some you know, overlap of various dynamics. I think I saw a segment that you did, uh, Jim, just a couple of months ago on uh, retailer stocking trends and destocking right. trends. And obviously, we're seeing some of those dynamics where our retail partners built up a lot of inventory uh, during the supply chain crisis when they didn't know when the next shipment was right. necessarily going to arrive. And now they're going through a destocking process, and hopefully we'll be through that by the time we get into the full uh, selling season. So there are some of those dynamics going on. Another contributor for us is we do have some um, uh, components and systems that we sell into the recreational vehicle market. Right. And that um, market has been, yeah, uh, that's right, from Navico and, and some of the rest of our businesses. And s that market in particular has essentially been on a manufacturing slowdown for the first quarter and is just ramping back up again. So a couple, I think, of short-term factors, but the long-term remains very strong. It certainly is the case, or else we wouldn't see, be seeing those kinds of trends. David Folks, the CEO of Brunswick, again, we're examining situations that normally would have not been doing well in this rate cycle that are doing quite well. May have money's back after the break. Thank you, David. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dang time. The lightning round is over. start with Jim in Florida. Jim. Jimmy Chill. This is Jimmy from Les Chateau and Pelican Marsh in Naples, Florida. Fantastic. I'm talking about a limited partnership that's been growing dividends at a double-digit annual rate, solely committed to 100% renewable energy. They recently made an announcement yesterday of selling off their natural gas pipelines. I'm calling you about NEP. Oh, I like that stock. And I said so this morning to my colleague David Faber on Squawk on the Street. You've got a winner there, Jim. Let's go to Betty in Tennessee. Betty. Hey, Jimmy Chill. How are you? I am good, Betty. How about you? investment help with the club. I love my membership. Oh, thank you. We try to throw so much at Don't forget Morning Me and the Home Stretch. Thank you so much. What's up? Yes, I'm a longtime investor with CSX. Well, I, I like I CSX. I like the rails. They've become much better operator of late. I think it's a terrific situation. If anything, I'd buy more into weakness. Let's go to Bill in Florida. Bill. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing well. Oh, good. I'm glad you are. STEM. STEM, I've been very disappointed in. I thought they gave a pretty good game plan. I thought they knew what they're doing. They've not been able to execute the game plan, and therefore I have to say, join them. Let's go to Steve in California, Steve. Yeah, booyah, Jim. Booyah, Steve. uh, First of all, I just want to say uh, the thing I love best about your show is all the detail you get into uh, beyond the numbers, you know. Well, thank you. We're trying to show how the craft works. Devoting a bunch of shows to that now because I think people really need it instead of just focusing on the negatives. How can I help? Regarding Polaris, I just took a small stake in it. Well, it's a discretionary play. I don't feel that good about discretionary plays. However, 
They've been doing better than I thought, although I don't want to pull the trigger on Polaris. Let's go to Michael in Vermont. Michael. Cream dog. How are you doing, man? I am doing well. How about you? Oh, I'm doing great right now. I'm calling. I made some great money last week from Wingstop. Wingstop's a winner. I like Wingstop. Okay, go ahead. Wingstop's great. What about uh, your friend Karen's favorite internet security play, FTNT? I like I like Fortinet very much. Now you know the club owns Palo Alto Networks, but Fortinet is absolutely terrific company. I've liked it for ages. Let's go to Michael in Minnesota. Michael. Hey, good afternoon, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, I'm glad you're on the show. What's happening? Say, I'm interested in a small small cap Israeli company that has a digital ad contract with Microsoft and Bing Chat GPT. Carry on. Your thoughts? I don't know it. I don't know this period. I will have to do more work and come back to you. Let's go to Bill in North Carolina. Bill. Bill. This, this is Chris from Dallas. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris in Dallas. How are you? My my band. What's up? Good. Uh, hey, Jim. Uh, Long time listener, second time caller. Excellent. Uh, question about SoFi. Uh, I've been an investor and a customer for years. Um, well, I, I'll tell you, I've got to tell you, SoFi, is, I am so beleaguered by regional and small banks that even though I think the world of Anthony Noto, I have to talk, to, I've got to sit down with the Anthony face-to-face. This thing's killing me. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. No need to panic if you know the company behind the stock. Kramer has a list of perennials that don't deserve the dustbin. Next. Let's all agree to stop panicking. Unless you're on a regional bank, it's been a gigantic mistake to both from individual stocks that are in free fall in this particular market. For instance, this morning, Skyworks Solutions, a very good semiconductor company focused on mobile, supposedly blew up, meaning it had a shortfall and a suboptimal outlook. I know Skyworks pretty well. I read its conference call the way I always do, in a vacuum, without looking at the stock's trajectory to avoid contaminating my thinking. The Skyworks call can be hard to fathom because their largest client is Apple. And the first rule of Apple Supply Club is you don't talk about Apple Supply Club. The CEO can't mention Apple by name, but that's okay, as we know Apple just reported a fine quarter. So what went wrong at Skyworks? The shocker in this call, Android performed badly. As China emerged from the COVID restrictions, the entire country seems to sour on Android at once. So yeah, that was bad. But was it down 13 points bad? As Skyworks was when I finished Squawk on the Street? Absolutely not. The idea of a long-term downtrend in Android phones seems impossible unless the middle class in China simply stops spending, and that ain't going to happen. That's why Skyworks could then rebound hard from its lows, down 13 to down 5. It would have been terrible to bail down 13. That was just panic taking over, and as I always say, no one ever made a dime panicking. I felt the same way last week when I saw the stock of Palo Alto Networks, we own that one for the Chapel Trust, selling off hard in response to the founding of Tenable. 
which is a marginal cybersecurity outfit no one ever heard of until it blew up. You had to buy Palo Alto on the Tenable News, not sell it into a free fall that Tenable generated, because the stock's now rebounded like crazy in response subsequently to positive results we just heard from cybersecurity companies Zscaler and Palantir. There was no need to panic in the first place. You should have been buying, not selling. Best example, AMD. It's another name we own for the trust. The stock got clubbed after reported down 9%, even though it was basically an inline number with OK forecast. We recommended buy in that weakness because we thought it was overdone. Since then, AMD's rebounded from just below 82 to 95 on artificial intelligence chatter alone. If you were going to sell this one, now's the time to do it, not last week when it was much lower. Now, there are some some stocks that genuinely deserve to be shunned. When I read through the PayPal conference call, it seemed glowing, maybe warm, except for one small margin guy down. That would have been fine if PayPal were machinery or retail or healthcare play. But PayPal's a financial company, and unless there's a sharper, sharply better than expected quarter, there's no way it can hold its own in this market where the financials are guilty until proven innocent. Still, it doesn't seem inviting to me, even after its 12% decline today because of that margin problem. So sometimes it is justified, but other times it's like Starbucks. There was nothing in that quarter that was particularly weak, except the same thing that afflicted Skyworks, a pause in consumer spending from China's middle class. As much as I dislike the Chinese government, it's a mistake to bet against the people and their economy. The good news is Starbucks, the rebound has just begun. I would be a buyer right here. Buy, buy, buy! Way too often, people just get beleaguered when they see a stock of their own go down so big, they think it's over. But right now, that's only true for the financials and the unprofitable tech outfits that keep reveling in red ink. Unless they change their M.O., well, then, wow, they're all going to go. Case in point, uh, tech consultant Palantir, which had been an absolute dog for a very long time until last night when Palantir decided enough is enough with the losses. It's time to get serious about making money, not losing money. Amidst all the AI info on the call, management mentioned multiple times that the business would be profitable going forward. Didn't matter where the stock was when we got that declaration. The moment we heard that commitment to profitability, it became safe to own. Hence today's remarkable 23% run. And guess, get this. I don't think it's done going higher. So don't give up on a stock that's in free fall unless it's a financial or a tech company that refuses to get religion or profitability. Concentrated selling's actually been working in those two groups, but everywhere else, it served you very poorly. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. 
Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. 